Let's listen to God's word together from Matthew 5, uh, I mean Matthew 4, verse 23, 2 through 5, 12. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. It's right after the service. We have some uh, apple cider donuts we'd love to share with you afterwards. Uh, so please stay uh, and uh, let us meet you right after the service. That's one thing I forgot to share. Uh, but uh, as we come now to think about, particularly Matthew 5 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied, is where we want to camp this morning. And we want to ask Jesus to be the good shepherd and help us. So let's just pause and uh, to pray. Encourage you to just take a deep breath, breathe in, breathe out. Uh, now quietly pray for people around you to hear the voice of the good shepherd this morning. I'll take a few moments and pray for me to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd as I uh, bring the word to you today. Jesus, thank you that you've taught us we do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from your mouth. And so feed us this morning uh, till we are so satisfied that we have bread to share as we go from here into our busy weeks ahead. Uh, so Jesus, feed us this morning. Um, amen. Most of you know, tomorrow, some of you might, some people might be here going to run in the marathon tomorrow. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you are, God bless you. <laughs> Lord be with you. But the marathon is tomorrow. Most of us know, know about the marathon, that if I talk to you about uh, hitting the wall, you know what that means. Um, our son, uh, Luke, did his residency in New York City. He was a runner in high school, cross country, 
uh, became pretty good at distant running, but when he was there as a resident, he decided he wanted to run in the New York Marathon, which starts on the Verrazano Bridge, comes across, and all that. And, but he'd never run a marathon before, and so when I asked him to talk to me about what it was like when he hit the wall, <laughs> our son, who is in great shape and just quite the athlete, he said, Dad, it's the worst thing I've ever been through again, and I will never run <laughs> another marathon. It was just so awful, what the physically what he felt, experienced when he hit the wall. I have another friend who's a pastor, uh, a very gifted guy, and he's a little bit younger than me, but he's probably in his mid-60s, and he decided in his 50s to run a marathon, and he'd never run distance before, but he trained and he got ready, and uh, it was in Charlotte, North Carolina, he's going to run the marathon in Charlotte, North Carolina. So my friend starts off, he said, Clyde, first day, 10 miles, he was doing great, and then it got really hard, and then he hit the wall, <laughs> about 20, and he wanted to walk off, he wanted to quit, he felt so bad, so terrible. It was like the worst physical pain he'd ever been in before. But his daughter, who is a distance runner and runs distances, and um, you know she had won some awards and stuff like that, was basically, because he's running slow, she's walking with him you know, the whole race, and she knows certain points to catch up and see how he's doing. So when he's hitting the wall about 20 miles, uh, she can tell by the look on his face, he's getting ready to quit. Now... She didn't have her running shoes on. She basically had her cool trainer sneakers that she wore to school. Uh, she looked around, and she jumps the fence and goes over and gets beside her dad and said, Dad, I'm going to run with you. We're going to finish the race. See, Jesus knows, for some of you, you are hitting the wall life-wise. Something's happening to you right now, and you need to know that you're not alone, you're not by yourself, but there's someone who has walked this walk, run this race, and he's ready to run with you and get you to the finish line. He's going to help you finish well. Um, there's a book that if you're not familiar with it, I think a lot of you would really enjoy it because many of you are researchers, and it's all about the data. <laughs> It's the science. You can tell me warm, fuzzy stories, but give me the data. <laughs> you know, I like the narrative. I like storytelling, but give me the process by which this research was done so that we know when it goes in front of the FDA, it will be approved. Okay? So a book that if you're not familiar with, you need to be familiar with if you're going to be serious about following Jesus. And it's called The Critical Journey. It was written by two researchers at Fuller Theological Seminary in California. Um, and it's a woman and a man who wrote it together. But they researched thousands of believers to try and understand what do most Christians experience in their journey with Jesus, the critical journey. And it's worth reading. You could pick it up, just read stage four. What is stage four? And they call it the wall. It's when you hit the wall and your life just blows apart. Now, it's really at this critical point for believers who've been through a lot of hardship and suffering that they're going to make some decisions. So let's just review real quickly. Stage one, you come to know the love of God, and you know that Jesus loves you, and you're good. You're more than good. You, you just are so thankful that God would come into your life. Stage two is you really begin to study and read and enjoy and love to worship. You love to participate but anything where you can learn more about Jesus, you are there. Whether it's a retreat, extra meeting, prayer meeting, you are 
there. You're in stage two, and it is glorious. But then you get to stage three, and you become a teacher or a preacher or a leader or a Bible study leader, and you're leading small groups or you head of mercy ministry. And all of a sudden, all that wonderful joy you had as a new believer, and as in stage two, all this joy kind of dissipates because you're working so hard and you're on the performance wheel of trying to win people's approval and God's approval and you've forgotten who you are in Christ. You've lost your joy. It just, Christian life becomes oppressive. It becomes dull. It becomes, it just becomes not what God intended. So where Jesus said, I came that you might have life abundantly and this can happen to our teenagers particularly who grew up in a Christian home. They learned all these things. They had great experiences with Jesus. But by the time you're in high school, you've kind of been there, done that. And so it's almost like Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it redundantly. <sighs> this is boring. You know, I want to see what, what's it like on the other side. I'm going to go check that out and see if there's more fun over there than what I'm experiencing right here. Well, let me share with you that the antidote, the way to sort of come out of that, how to come out of stage four, is a fresh experience with God. And I'm just going to pique your curiosity. What's stage five? What's stage six? Okay, you'll have to look it up. But the fourth beatitude says you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. His food and drink is the best meal you'll ever eat. We've been talking in the, each beatitude is an invitation to live the life God has for us. It's an invitation to joy. You are blessed. You're invited to this intense delight that God has in you. And if you've lost that, you've forgotten it, it's hard for you, we'd love to help you get it back. Uh, to sort of wake up to the fact this morning that you want back what you've had before, but to have it in a different way for what's ahead. That's why we come together as a people of God. There was a phrase in the Reformation called Semper Reformando. We're always in Reformation. We're always being transformed. We always need to be around people who together we're worshiping, studying, listening, praying, and the Word of God is shaping who we are. But here's the giveaway that you are where you need to be today is your cup is not only filling over with joy. <laughs> I've told all of you, most of you have been here, I love Christmas, but one of my favorite lines in the story about Jesus coming into the world is when the angel says, there will be good news of a little joy. No. There will be good news of great joy in the church, in God's people. They will know so much joy that it will satisfy them. That's why when David messed up big time, he said, restore to me the joy of of my salvation. Give me a willing spirit. So if you're sort of disillusioned, despondent, you're just a wreck here this morning, would you be willing to be willing to God to revisit you with the joy that you've had before, to bring you back to that place where you go? This is the only thing that really satisfies. For those of you who are tracking with joy and you've got some joy, you'd say, well, Clyde, my, I might have a quarter tank. <laughs> Maybe I'm half full. Maybe I'm three quarters. Will you pray with me for Christ the King? Lord, increase our joy. Increase it. Increase our joy. Because when that joy is real, it satisfies us deeply. 
Well, as we looked at the Beatitudes, and this is so important when you're studying the Bible, anything that God tells us to do, he has already done for us. He doesn't ask us to do something he himself has not done. And our Savior, Jesus, came and did for us what we could never do. He came to fulfill what God requires so that when he invites us to do it, it's not a command, it's not a demand, it's a desire that you and I would know how to walk in righteousness and the goodness of our God. And so uh, it's, it's amazing. But listen to Jesus when he says these things as he comes to be, live a righteous life. Now this, this will help you, I hope. When you think about righteousness, a lot of times we think about rules, regulations, wearing all black, you know, don't drink, cuss or chew, go out with girls that do, that kind of thing. You know, it's all about the rules. Can't watch movies, can't dance, can't play cards. Now, some of you have been to that college where that was the rule for a long time. No dancing, no movies, no cards. Now, a little comic relief here. One of my best friends who loves deeply went to that college. And uh, so, uh, but he was a little bit of a rebellious. He'd grown up in a small town in Michigan, very straight-laced, hardcore a church, uh, but he said, I, I want to know what a movie's like. He'd never seen a movie. So the first movie he goes see, sees is Animal House. So <laughs> every day after that, he would sneak off. <laughs> if it's as good as Animal House, I got to see it. Now, <clears throat> I, I'm speaking in jest here. Some of you are already offended, but be patient. <clears throat> Uh, but he has re- he's become a great movie reviewer. He loves Jesus, but he writes great reviews of movies. And that's part of his story at this really fighting, funding Christian college. No drinking, no dancing, no cards. <clears throat> but he really began to see how to see into the culture and understand the culture, how in stories, in movie, in film, we can see God tapping on people's souls because they're seeing a counterfeit or something that's going on there that lets you know that there, there's a desire there that's God-given, that is twisted and misused, and, and it hasn't worked the way it's, it's supposed to be. But listen to Jesus when he says that <clears throat> in John 2, he says, zeal for my Father's house will consume me. What does righteousness look like? It looks like passion. Looks like zeal. You know, in John 2, Jesus, he cleansed the temple twice. First year of his public ministry. Third time, this is the first cleansing of the temple. Uh, but one of the things I want to encourage you as a follower of Jesus, Jesus loves his bride. He loves his church. It's really easy to get discouraged, disillusioned about the church. It's really easy to walk away from the church. But just remember, Jesus is building his church, but he is passionately in love with what we call church. Because that's what he died for. He died for us individually, but he died so that we would become the people of God in, in such a way that people who don't know him would say, you have something I do not have, and I want that. When I visited your church, I experienced something I did not have. Now, being a pastor... For lo these many years, before the flood, I got ordained. I've been around a long time. So I've interviewed a lot of people who, who are joining the church that I'm the pastor of. And I'll say, why do you want to join? He says, because I met this person at work. And she had something I did not have. 
I met this neighbor who invited me to a Bible study. And in that Bible study, I heard and experienced something I needed. You see, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be in love with his bride. You're going to love his church because he died for it. He intercedes for it. And wherever the church is, the church, look out, that's where you want to be. And when it's not, you don't want to be there. But that's where it's so good to know that there's no church beyond the reach and the love of Christ to bring them back and bring them out and bring them into renewal. But Jesus loves his church. And think about this, where Jesus says uh, he's helped the woman at the well, uh, the woman at the well, and his disciples have brought him food, and they don't understand why he doesn't want to eat. But he says this, my food is to do Have you ever been involved in something where you're so enjoying it, you're so taken by it, you forget to eat? You forget to have a meal, whatever. You forget uh, what you, you know, that you're supposed to eat because you're so excited. Because we don't live by bread alone, but we live out of the very word that God has revealed to us through his son, through the Bible, so that we can have what he has for us. In the Greek right here, when Jesus says you're blessed, if you hunger and thirst, the whole idea is that I am so stinking hungry. I am so thirsty. You're desperate. And Jesus wants us to live that way, not in an unhealthy way, but what does it look like for you and me to be in a healthy way, desperate for what God has for us? Uh, what does it look like? Let me give you a clue. When I'm desperate, I know that's where I'm going to find real joy. That's where I know I'm going to find real life. That's when I know this is the only thing that really satisfies. You know, it's an old funny, funny preacher saying that the reason we don't hunger and thirst after righteousness is because we've been stacking on sin. Okay, so uh, the reason this doesn't grip us, again, some of you have had this experience, you know, where you get... uh, a last-minute invitation to go out for dinner or over to somebody's house. But in the afternoon, you're not paying attention. You snack, eat some, and then you go to have this fabulous meal, and you're not hungry. (laughs) You're not hungry. Could it be this morning for you and me? The reason we're not hungry to want to hear about this righteousness is we're stacking here, we're stacking there, we're stacking here, we're... And our appetite is such that we're not really, I'm supposed to be here, I want to be here, I'm glad I'm here, but I'm really not that hungry or thirsty for the righteousness that comes from Christ. Now, in the Bible, there are three kinds of righteousness. There's the righteousness, which is called the passive righteousness. It's foundational. Uh, Jesus, you are, we sang it early, you are my righteousness. It's foundational to everything we do here. It's what Pastor Rick preached so well from Galatians and Romans is the truth that this righteousness that's revealed in the gospel, the power of God, it is a gift. It is revealed in the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection that not only did he die for all my sins, he died to give me the gift of his righteousness. So, For all of you here this morning, if you've never made this exchange, um, this is to help you. If you want to know Jesus, this is a simple word for the kids kind of illustration. So here's Jesus standing, looking at me, and I'm here, and Jesus wants me to come to know him. 
And Jesus says to me, give me all your unrighteousness, all everything that's wrong with me. I go, Jesus, here's everything wrong with me. Here's everything I've done. Here's how I've hurt people. I deserve to be in. I need you. And Jesus says, I'll take all that. I'm, I've died for it. But I'm going to give you all my righteousness. And so this great exchange, when you want to know, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means I've taken this gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. All of us like sheep have gone astray, and God has laid the iniquity of us all on him. So that, again, we can read these verses and know why it's so satisfying. So in Isaiah 53, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, here's, here's, this will help you today, particularly if you want to become a Christian and you're right there. Listen to this. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. If you know you're not righteous before God right now, you need to hear the good news that Jesus is saying, come, I've died, I will become unrighteous so that you might become righteous. That the perfect love of God revealed in the righteousness of God revealed there is transformational, it's transactional. It will change your story and you will never be the same. But you've got to say, I'm unrighteous and I need your righteousness. And if you've never accepted that, Hear the voice of the good shepherd saying to you, come and believe, come and trust me that what I've done is the very thing you long for most deeply, which is a relationship with me. And today, October the 10th, 2021, will be forever your spiritual birthday. And I would love to celebrate with you in the years to come. But I got ahead of myself. So let's go back just for a second. So... This gift of righteousness. Now, if you've read this, we'll put it in the reader this week so you can read it. It's the preface to Galatians, where in the preface to Galatians, Martin Luther talks about understanding, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, what does that mean? And so Luther explains that before he starts his commentary on Galatians. And there's a modern paraphrase of it, which is very readable. But let me read you. Uh, just part of it. This is Luther paraphrased. Yet there is another righteousness far above the others when Paul calls the righteousness of faith Christian righteousness. God imputes it to us apart from our works. In other words, it is passive righteousness as the others are active. We do nothing for it. We give nothing for it. We only receive it. The need for Christian righteousness, this passive righteousness, is a mystery that the world cannot understand. Indeed, Christians never completely understand it themselves, and thus they do not take advantage of it when they are troubled and tempted. So we have to constantly teach it, repeat it, and work it out in practice. Anyone who does not understand this righteousness or cherish it in the heart and conscience will continually be buffeted by fears and depression. Nothing gives peace like the passive righteousness. 
So what Jesus is saying here, you're going to find joy when you understand why I can give you joy because in me there is righteousness, my righteousness for your unrighteousness. And when that happens, then there will be the transformation of your character so that you will be able to say, I'm good, I'm satisfied. <clears throat> when God created the world, you know, he said, I'm satisfied. When he sent his son to die on the cross, he saw what Jesus did for me and you and said, I'm satisfied. So the idea of satisfaction is when you hunger and thirst for the righteousness that comes from Christ by faith, by grace through faith, then it begins to change you because the only response could be, I want more of it. <laughs> I want to understand it better. Help me, pastor. Help me, friend. Teach it to me. Preach it to me. Help me understand it because I am so full of despair. I'm so full of sadness. I'm so conflicted. I am so anxious all the time. There's one antidote. There's one answer, and that is Christ and Christ alone in His righteousness revealed. Now again, I'm not saying that, you know, you, all of you who know me know I love and value counseling and therapy and the value of that. But if you're really stuck a good counselor will help you see why you're so committed to not believing it. <laughs> why you won't trust it. Why you won't give your heart to it. And so please don't hear me say in some simplistic way that this is the magic wand, the silver bullet. It is not. But here's the reality. If you'll take that first step towards Him, you'll realize He stepped towards you already. Steve Brown describes it this way, where God says, if you take the first step, I'll take the second step. Draw near to me, I will draw near to you. But he said, at some point I realized when I take that first step, it was God who took the first step. The reason you're here is God's taken the first step. Many times in your story, he's taken that initiative of drawing near to you, but you pushed him away. You crossed your arms. You've not been willing to receive and accept this righteousness that comes by faith, which is the source of all joy. Now, when this reality begins to sink into your story, here's what happens is it not only changes you as a person, but it makes you want to be a transactional person who's involved in the culture to bring the salt and light of the gospel. Lots of stories I could tell you, and I thought about this one came to mind as I was praying about what to preach on uh, related to this passage. But when Valerie and I were starting our church in, or helping renew, revitalize the church where we went to in 2007, we met this young couple who had just moved back. She was starting as a pediatrician. Her husband was a former young life leader involved in some ministry. They started uh, becoming more involved at Hope. They were already there when I showed up. But as I got to know Leah, uh, she was a woman who was on fire with what we're reading right here because righteousness culturally means I want to make a difference. I want to identify the least of these. I want to help the widow. I want to help the poor. I want to be involved in healing the sick. Now, she was a pediatrician, <coughs> and she was in a very successful uh, practice in the part of Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where all the doctors are and all the specialists. And she was so well-known because of her, her bedside manner, her ability to care for people. When she did a residency in Denver, uh, she treated many people who were Hispanic, who were poor. And she realized, you know, she, 
they would talk, their English was not good, and she committed on her own, taught herself Spanish, became fluent in Spanish when she was in Denver. So when she comes to Winston-Salem to be involved there, the word is out on the street in this poor part of town that's primarily Hispanic. These mothers started showing up with their children to see Leah because they knew Leah would help them that Leah could speak the language. And so Leah and I were talking, and she shared with me, my dream is I want to open up a clinic on their side of town. You see, many of them had to get taxi, pay taxis. They couldn't get rides. They'd have to take buses. I mean, it was an all-day journey just to come see her. And she said, Clyde, I want, I want to be where they are and provide medicine for them. And so that was the beginning of the dream. So I could tell you more stories about it, but what a joy it was to be in her clinic in that part of town with other Christian pediatricians, PAs, administrative people, all came together and said, we're going to open a clinic with the blessing of this big corporate structure that she's a part of, a business medical model like many of you are familiar with. And the people who were in power, who control the purse strings, unleashed them. and set it up. And so if you could have been with me when we dedicated that office to Lord Jesus, that's righteousness. Powerful righteousness. And if you and I could go there, if I could take you to Winston-Salem this week and we could tour that clinic, there's so much joy there. There's so much joy. So you see this hungry and thirsting after righteousness deeply satisfies It sets me free to want to be different, to say, God, I know you love me just the way I am, but you love me too much to leave me the way I am. How do I change? I understand more of the righteousness that's passive, trusting in the finished work of Christ so that my life can be different. A good friend of mine uh, that I love dearly and I were talking this week, he's the head of a, a company and he went to this conference for people who are own their own companies out in Colorado a few weeks ago. And he said, Clyde, one of the speakers who was speaking to us as CEOs of our businesses said, if you really want to know Jesus better, listen for the tone. He said, Clyde, that was so helpful to me. And I could tell, we're talking on the phone, he's getting choked up. He said, listen for the tone. When Jesus is talking to you, when you read the Bible, What is the tone of the scriptures to you? Is it like music in your ears to your heart? Do you hear the tone of Jesus gentle and lowly saying to you this? And this is Eugene Peterson's translation of this great passage we studied this summer, Matthew 11, 28-30. Peterson translates it this way, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the thrill of being loved by a righteous God who provides a sacrifice of his own son, who that when you looked upon his suffering and death, you were satisfied. And through that, many have been made righteous, more than we can number, more than the stars in the sky, more than the sands of sea, 
so many have claimed this and have found unbelievable, inexpressible joy. And so, Lord, help us this morning as we come to this table of rest, this table to be fed. May you satisfy us again with what you did for us, Jesus, in a way that we will go out into our workplaces, into our families, being transformed and transactional and that we want to make a difference. We want to see people be changed by the same good news that has changed us. Amen.